Welcome to the JP Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this week is Mike Henson. How are you doing, Mike? Bruce, how are you? For regular listeners, we fired Joe. No, we haven't <laughs> fired Joe. He's on a marketing trip somewhere in Asia right now. So um, we've given him the we've given him the week off. So let's um, let's start by I guess. You know, what to me was most interesting this week is the flash PMIs. Um, and I guess in my perspective, it's the European piece of this, which is most interesting, partly because we don't get a lot of other data, partly because sure. it does actually track reasonably well, not nearly tracking as well for the U.S. and other places. Right. And, and partly because it, at least on the surface, um, gives us some um, kind of support for our views. So maybe we pay attention to those things more. Um, but you know, I think part of the storyline we have is that the global economy remains resilient even as we lose some of the U.S. engine um, as we turn into the new year. Uh, and and in order to do so, I think you do need some better news on European growth, um, and and particularly the consumer. Uh, right. So we we did get some good news on the PMIs. Maybe you want to you know use a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, as you said, um, we got probably better news from the standpoint of the regional divergences we've been talking about for some time now, uh, as opposed to the sectoral. Some somewhat better news there, maybe. But, you know, basically both the UK and the euro area showed uh, improvements in uh, all industry measures. And that's obviously encouraging, given that they've been, you know, flirting with recession and we've been concerned for a while that the supports there don't appear in the, in the data as strong as some otherwise might hope. Uh, ironically, because the labor market is very tight, right? But the growth picture still has been very muted there. That does speak to how poorly the supply side has has evolved there. But in some ways, I mean, there's a there's still low levels. But to me, on these, you're saying it's on the momentum side that there's some encouragement there. And I guess the way I'm connecting it is these are February survey data, um, and I'm linking it um, to what we really think needs to be a bit of a driver for growth here, which is better news from consumers. The consumers had uh, support for a little while here in terms of the uh, uh, fall in inflation combining with still pretty strong um, uh, wage gains. And we've been expecting that to translate into some pickup in consumption. Uh, Sometime it, now. <laughs> it, didn't happen, it didn't happen in the UK where we have data showing um, a decline in consumption in the fourth quarter. But in the Euro area, the third quarter was up a little over one percent, and we don't have the fourth quarter yet. Of course, the data is slow, um, but the German number this week suggests to pick up uh, the um, well, the very low levels. Though I mean, the Germans still look extremely weak within the region. No, I'm talking about the consumption reading in the GDP account that that was up about a percent annualized, gotcha. and then you have the um, um, you know, the consumer confidence reading, which also moved up into February. And I guess you connect the dots to that and perhaps more linked to the service sector rise in the PMIs, which are in February. And in the UK, we're pretty, pretty significant. Um, and you get some optimism that the uh, dynamic is, is playing out. Our guys are feeling pretty comfortable in the Euro area, at least, that their fourth quarter um, consumption reading when it comes out is also going to be up. Uh, so we've we kind of look like we're starting to get something on that front. Um, and I think that's not only important overall in the context of uh, uh, you know global demand, but 
I think it's supposed to be an important positive um, for uh, goods demand uh, and and providing some support for the the global manufacturing uh, recovery. I mean, the other thing in the PMI this week was that the manufacturing uh, survey did go up for the for the DM overall, but there was a, a wrinkle there that the euro area actually did go go down. Um, so you know, there I there I think in in kind of worrying some around this broader picture, I think of supportive news on Western Europe um, was how weak the German manufacturing survey was, and it you know it's we don't have all the details yet, but it looks like the IFO survey sent a consistent message. So I guess what I'm I'm feeling, and I wouldn't mind your reaction to it, is this idea that there is a a lifting going on in Western Europe, the euro area consumer. Probably the UK also is starting to lift, um, but there's a an underlying structural problem in German industry, which is definitely going to uh, temper that lifting. Uh, and it doesn't, um, you know, feel like there's going to be enough global demand here to really shake that German industrial sector problem, you know, um, out here. And that just means, you know, you you get somewhat better here, but not perhaps. Um, as much as you'd like, given how persistently uh, sluggish Western European growth has been. I think that's fair. I mean, Europe really obviously has been kind of the, the weak link in the outlook for a while now. Uh, I think we've been hopeful that the data is churn. I think there's there's been a green shoots at various times over the last several months that perhaps haven't really fully materialized just yet. I actually think the UK data looks a little bit better on that front. Maybe it's just because we have more of it, right? As you mentioned. The UK trend. data overall looks better, but the consumer data hasn't. I mean, I, and I think you kind of have to look through the noise of what was a better January retail sales report after a pretty crappy December. But what I've learned from all the UK economists I've worked with in the last 600 years is that retail sales is pretty crappy as, a, as an indicator, even of consumption uh, spending. Right. So... Um, you know, so yeah, so we'll see where we are now. I mean, I think the other issue we're kind of playing with in Europe, which is uh, relevant, is the starting dates around when central banks might ease. And there does appear to be some variation. Why don't you kind of take us through uh, that story? Yeah, I think that is more linked to the inflation stories. But uh, obviously, you know, the, the growth in labor market picture has, a, has some real bearing there. Um, but we have, for example, uh, relative to the ECB, we're right now looking for them to move in June, which is pretty consistent with where market pricing is finally settled after obviously being very aggressive and very Settled early. is probably a little strong as a word here. We Who knows where we're settling, but go on. Where we sit today. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it kind of feels like there's been a little bit more of a swing than just we're on our way to somewhere else, but who knows? We'll see. Um, but I do think that... Um, if you look at what's happened with the inflation data for some of the smaller open economies in Europe, so for example, the UK, we already talked a little bit about it, and then Sweden, you saw much stronger imported inflation for a time that has come off quite aggressively. Uh, but in the context of Sweden, you've also seen domestic inflation weaken. Of course, they actually had a recession. Um, they are arguably a bit more interest sensitive than some of the other parts of the European economy. And so you're seeing that actually translate into a more material decline in inflation, where it seems a lot more sticky still in the UK, quite frankly. The labor market is still tight, as you talked about. The supply side doesn't look that favorable. Not particularly favorable in Europe either, but probably you know, on the margin worse in the UK, um, your area. So what that means is we're looking for the Riksbank to go earlier. We have them 
tested in for May and for the BOE to be later, we were looking for them to go in August at this point. Yeah, and that gives us a different outcome for the year as a whole. We've got the Swedes going 125 this year and the UK only going uh, 75, I believe. Um, I think one of the interesting things is they end up in our forecast more or less in the same place as we go through 24, 25 overall. There's about 200 basis points of easing we're expecting from both, which is right now quite a bit more um, than the market has priced in. Um, I think, as you said, there's a story there that the Swedes have had a recession, a genuine recession, and that's going to take out perhaps more inflation pressure than uh, in most other places. It arguably seems to already even, right? So Yeah, exactly. That's part of why you have them starting somewhat earlier, but it, it has a more pronounced macro impact as you go over the next year or two. I think the the thing that keeps uh, Alan Monks, our UK economist, with quite a bit of easing for the UK is that he's actually, even though we are looking to see the UK pick up here in the early part of the year, he does have uh, the economy faltering quite a bit as we get to the end of the year. He has the economy basically in something, I'm not sure he describes it quite as a recession, but it's pretty close. He's got growth, growth zero to slightly negative. So, you know, this raises an interesting question because we don't have that in the euro area. Not that we have exciting growth, but we have growth getting back to 1%. Um, We have a forecast that the unemployment rate doesn't break up, break higher, excuse me, I should say. But we also have 200 basis points of easing from the ECB. So as you you know, Mike, I've been giving the team a little grief here today in the last couple of days on this issue. You know, why should we get 200 basis points from the ECB if we're getting the consumer lifting here and we're getting... um, you know, the market, I can even argue it from the market point of view because the market's got 160 basis points or so um, uh, priced in. So let's let's just stay with that. I'm not even sure why we should get that if the ECB is watching um, an unemployment rate that stays well below 7% here. Um, I, you know, as you know, I've been pushing back on the idea the Fed's going to do a ton of easing unless we get a growth uh, weakness of, of meaningful size. But I'm also thinking... Uh, similarly, on the ECB sides, so you want to you want to support Greg and Ravi and Raphael's view here. Well, there are ways there are ways you can get that. I don't know if these are the reasons they're thinking. There are ways you can get that. I mean, one of the things that's worth pointing out, of course, is that the labor markets are strong in a lot of economies, and, and they look much stronger than the growth numbers do. Right? The so-called Oaken's law seems to have really broken down. In Europe, I think that's particularly pronounced. Right? And granted, we do have somewhat of a recovery, but it's a pretty muted recovery. And so perhaps that's part of the, their thinking. Uh, we had a little discussion about this. I don't want to push this point, but you obviously could, I don't want to push it hard, but you could obviously make an argument that if you think there was like more sustained structural damage to the European economy, then maybe that has a factor, is playing a factor as well in pushing down kind of where- But isn't that, isn't that the point be. behind what you just said, which is you've had structural damage and it has certainly yeah. uh, held back growth, um, but it's also held back supply. So in some ways, you know, if you- if you told me euro area wage inflation uh, was going to come back down to one to two percent, um, I'm with you on the ECB getting a big easing. But if yeah. you think that the unemployment rate stays in the mid sixes and growth is going to be one percent overall, I'm not convinced we're going to get all that big a deceleration in wage inflation. We'll get some, no doubt. Right. Right. Um, and if that's the case, even if inflation, and I think there's a good case to say euro area inflation could get down into the low mid twos here, but low mid twos inflation with a still tight labor market, elevated wage inflation, I, I don't know why the ECB should be sitting with a 2% policy rate, a 3% uh, 
feels more in the range of what I kind of feel comfortable with here. Obviously, the big conditioning factor on this, and it's um, it's it's a big one for everybody, is that we don't have in our forecast weakness um, in the euro area. I think that's what differentiates that call from the uh, the Bank of England call. We do have it, and I and I don't want to you know sort of ignore the fact that we could get hit with a weaker patch on growth. And then I think, you know, you, you, central banks, the ECB and others would uh, be uh, easing here for sure. Let's let's flip to another story here, which we've um, perhaps not given as much attention to, but the Bank of Japan and, and the sure. Japanese data, because I think there's an interesting kind of issue here that goes in the other direction, which is Japanese growth has been really weak here. We have a negative uh, two quarters of GDP growth. We have three quarters now of negative <laughs> consumption growth. Um, and of the PMIs that came out this week, Japan, Japan was, the was a disappointing one in terms of the direction, at least. Um, so, but there's sources from the BOJ that are starting to point towards possibly moving into positive territory on rates in March or April. Uh, our guys are pushing back against it for, for the reason, partly for the reason I just mention you know where where what's your thinking on that yeah i mean it's interesting because it's a, basically been proposed as a kind of a dichotomy between what's happening in the financial markets and what's happening in the real economy right or for that matter even the inflation story which looks like again the wage and inflation numbers have been not as robust as i think was anticipated maybe even just a couple months ago that would help support the idea that the boj was going to be gradually moving to get rid of the negative interest rate policy um so you've got a scenario where obviously you had a significant weakening of the yen um, there's, you know, it, 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 we're pushing, you know, the markets push back when the Fed's going to start cutting. That's obviously put some further pressure in terms of financial markets. So I think there's this tension, maybe more than there should be, uh, between the idea that, that, you know, BOJ may actually want to be a bit more cautious given that the data has disappointed and this pressure that supposedly is coming from the financial market side of things, right? So we have them moving away from NERP as we've had for a while by mid-year, the market obviously is a bit ahead of that. Um, and we recently, uh, we for a while we're thinking they weren't really gonna move past zero. We've recently put uh, two 25 basis point hikes between now and the, the middle of next year, kind of late this year and first half of next year. Right? Yeah, I guess where I'm coming at, at it is in two different perspectives if we think about this. One being that it seems to me that, you know, you need to have the, uh, the kind of balance of having established inflation, but also having established a good enough picture for the household sector that they're getting the benefits of the reflationary tilt to push the, excuse me, the BOJ to move. So I'm with our team on the idea that they're more likely to be patient here. I'd be, I'd be somewhat surprised if they moved uh, in March or April, we will have the Tonkan survey at the end of March um, that we can kind of, you know, maybe update the the perspective that we're going to have just around the time we're also going to get a, a reasonably good read on the wage numbers. So if April, you know, if the March data, if the data between now and including the Tonkin come in solid, uh, we get the wage round. I, I'm not going to by any means ignore the possibility that that could deliver an April um, uh, rate hike. But right now, given what we know, given the momentum, I, I'm I'm okay with the idea that we're we're going to have to be patient here in the other direction from the BOJ. But I'm also sort of sitting here thinking if you have our forecast, which is Japanese growth runs close to 1% and inflation stays close to 2%, um, you know, I don't know why they only go 50 basis points in the space of 
18 months. Um, I'm not suggesting they're going to do 500. They're not going to follow the Fed, but uh, it feels to me that that's, that's too light over a horizon uh, of uh, sustained growth and, 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 and more confidence that the, uh, the reflation story has, uh, has been established in, in many different dimensions, I would assume. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, I'd later, but also more, I would be inclined towards from the uh, the BOJ in in the in this storyline. Um, it needs to be a timing story, right? It means it takes that much longer to build the confidence, right? So they're not done until like fifty. Well, let's hope not, because that would be a good good. It would be a much better story if they had the macro environment that warranted moving rates up more. Um, let's end by um, highlighting, of course, what probably is going to be the you know, the most important release next week, which will be, you know, the personal income and spending report in the U.S. Um, and I, 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 before I'm going to let you get into the numbers themselves, but before we do, I think one point to make is that the January data across the board have a high noise to signal ratio. And, and as we interpret these things, we're not trying to put too much weight on what have been in a number of cases, both payrolls, um, as well as inflation, some more extreme type type readings here. But we do think we can extract some signals uh, from the the data as we're turning into the new year. And we spent a lot of time in the um, last week uh, talking about the inflation side. So I don't want to dwell on it, but maybe just a word on that, and then also a word on what we're forecasting in terms of real spending um, in the month of uh, January. Yeah, well, just to, I guess, summarize the inflation view, right? Obviously, the numbers came in quite strong on the CPI front, uh, but also PPI and import prices, so kind of across the board, some of which, of course, could be a January effect. Um, but nonetheless, it does point to some meaningful pickup in uh, core PCE for January. So looking for five-tenths on core PCE. We're actually looking for potentially even stronger in super core if you want to go down that road. But uh, that's a pretty decent pickup if I well, I have on. been going down that road, and I do think that's of some significance in a world in which people have seemed to obsess far more on used car prices and right. and and shelter uh, rent of shelter. I think the thing is going to be really notable for the market. if i if I remember the numbers correctly, we were at the three month run rate of one point five, and I think we're going to be close to double that in the January number. Uh, um, three when you say three month run, that's core PC core, overall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. The super core is, was running two two, and I think that I mean, if our forecast is right, goes up to four three on a three month run. Yeah, also, also doubling it. So those yes. those are big moves. Which again, that's whiplash for the markets. I think. <laughs> well, I think we've yeah we've seen a good portion of that already. Um, so, but let's turn now to the to the kind of consumption side, and sure. let me just make a point here that in the six months through December, real consumption in the U.S. grew. 3.6% annualized. Now that I think even with uh, folks like us who have been, you know, pushing the health of the consumer and resiliency of the economy, that's pretty strong. And I think that's part of the context you have to have in terms of thinking about what's happening now. So we are looking for a pretty weak number um, on real consumption next week. Why don't you kind of get into that? Yeah, minus two tens, which again, in part, is a reflection of a very strong uh, inflation print coming in for the month. And also, you, of course, had some uh, notable weakness on the retail sales side, which again, could have January effect, almost certainly had some seasonal distortions in it. But nonetheless, it kind of points in that direction. It's one of these things where, again, you want to combine a couple of months, probably get a cleaner picture. Um, you had some stronger data, obviously, as you pointed out, 
late last year. Um, but yeah, you know, we've been looking for the, the consumer and the economy more broadly to step down. So that's consistent, right? We're going to probably have, depending on what the number shows up, we're looking for expecting we have something probably in the sending maybe two percent annualized for the consumer in the second quarter or first quarter. The first quarter, yeah, something closer to that. And yeah, I think so, that's a, that's a that's a um, you know um, a sign that I think some of that strength towards the end of last year was boosted by. Um, probably some seasonal issues around when the shopping in the holiday season went, but also you had a pretty healthy backdrop as we went through the uh, late summer and into the fall in terms of falling um, gasoline prices uh, and more generally falling goods prices. Uh, and I think, you know, again, in that 3.6% six month run on real consumption, real goods consumption was running more like four and a half percent. So there's a, I think there's a swing factor going on there that's going to cool things. But I, you know, just like we've been talking about in Western Europe, real labor income is still growing solidly. In the U.S., you have the benefits of a crazy dynamic in terms of wealth formation over the last few years. Um, you know, I, I don't think this is a sign that things are going to get weak, but we do have these bunchings around the trend. And just like we kind of now seeing inflation come up after a few months of weakness, we're going to probably see the consumer take a a breather. I don't know if that's the right word. Well, we can just say take a step step down here after a strong second half of last year. Right. Um, Some of these things are going to normalize off of paces that were probably, depending on the indicator, either unsustainably high or implausibly low. Right. So some of the inflation numbers. Yeah, I think that's 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 an important point to make. You always have to kind of try and tie what you're seeing in the macro surprise space not just to potential issues around seasonality and technical noise, but there's actually legitimately times where things seem to go off a little bit and then they kind of come back. And the consumer has been, you know, not a lot, but at least somewhat stronger than we would have thought. And I think it's every reason to think it comes back. I, I would have been argue the same thing on particularly core PC inflation. I think that's what we're probably seeing right now. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and then the, the thing really is going to be, um, where the Fed is, I think everybody is um, pushed back their um, guidance, and the pretty much every Fed speaker who's given us uh, something uh, later this year. Later this year, but <laughs> I still think, it, as just like we're talking for the euro area, yeah. the issue here is how much easing can you get uh, from the Fed over the next twelve eighteen months if the economy doesn't break down. And I think I think the idea that you can get 160 is a little bit rich, um, unless something does scare the Fed on growth. I think the kind of inflation profile um, I would expect, which is to say that they're probably going to be, you know, sitting thinking that 20. You know, I think my my thinking about how much the Fed delivers is based on where they think inflation is going to be at the end of 25. I think they're going to be gravitating here towards something in the mid twos, not the low twos. Um, and if you are there with a economy that's not threatening you on, 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 on breaking, you know, I'd say hundred is about right. Yeah. I mean, obviously this depends a little bit on how quickly inflation comes down. Obviously we've all been, including the Fed, very surprised at how quickly and how painlessly it's come down. Right. So, I mean, I think Powell really surprised at the last press conference when he basically kind of ruled out worrying about a hot labor market in terms of when they, you know, think about cutting and, and implicitly they didn't say so much, you know, what the pace would be. I think that those conversations are definitely going to come back in once the first cut is behind us. I think the pace is going to be really the debate for the 
for the you know the next several months um, for exactly those reasons, right? But I think it's a, I mean, if you if you take the Fed's forecasts uh, on the real economy side seriously, seriously, they've got inflation coming down reasonably quickly. No, um, no, I, I here's my my point would be, and and I've kind of we put this in the cover a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, if the Fed gets core inflation to go down to two two. Uh, and gets the unemployment rate to go above four, um, then yeah, they can they can do a lot. But uh, I'm just suggesting that if they don't have weakness in the economy, which they're not forecasting, I think both of those two uh, forecasts are going to be challenged a little bit in the direction of tightening mm-hmm. or, or less easing, excuse me. And my point is that there's a um, there's a kind of a magnification that comes with positively correlated. Uh, surprises you know you get those two things happening that let's just say we're running more in the mid twos to six to seven through this year as a run rate on core pc and the unemployment rate staying below four not only does that raise their expectations for we're going to be 25 but it's also going to start to raise more questions about um neutral rates which is what we've been seeing already happening here and you could easily go from a path which kind of legitimately um, aligns with a 200 basis point or so easing, which is kind of where they are, to something that's half that, uh, which is, I think, what is more in line with my kind of core macro thinking here. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, there's three or four moving parts here, which we're not going to have time to talk about today. There's the supply side dynamic. Um, there's uh, obviously how much growth momentum can you hold here. And then there's obviously where is inflation, both price and wage settling here um as we go through the next six nine months all of which are you know profoundly debatable in terms of how how you want to think about those things so it all comes down to the fed trying to decide just how or trying to come to a conclusion of just how restrictive policy actually is right that's you can think about summarizing that as a as our star but i think it's broader than that right i think that's that that's one point how restrictive is policy but the other is how much of the inflation dynamic is been uh, transitory and will unwind itself without having to maintain uh, particularly restrictive. I think both of those things are are, are relevant for this. So, uh, but th- there's no doubt that part of the point here is if you if you don't get as good inflation outcome, if you get a stronger growth outcome, that's going to have an impact on the issue of how how you view the restrictiveness of policy. So really? these things, to the degree they're correlated, they they push in ways that perhaps you might not appreciate if you're only focusing on one item. Uh, and it, by the way, it goes in the other direction as well. If you're um, sitting here and inflation is below 3% and then the economy starts to falter, you get a lot of Fed easing pretty quickly, especially when you have a starting point that you think policy is in a particularly restrictive stance. So there's a lot of leverage here you can have in either direction. The issue right now is we're starting to lean in the direction of the economy pay, basically delivering the kind of leverage that makes you think they do less, not that they do more. And we'll see how far that that runs. Right. Obviously, yeah. It depends on how the, the inflation comes along with it, right? I think the, the thing that's probably least clear is if the economy shows continued strength on the labor market, yet inflation comes down, how much does the Fed worry about a persistently tight labor market? Right. Well, that's where things get complicated. If the, if the if the macro surprises are even modest, but in their same direction, they can leverage you. Um, if the macro surprises are in opposite directions, 
then you got interesting debating points. But I, I would just say on on that front, on the growth side, if the macro surprises are significantly downside, the inflation stuff doesn't matter. Uh, I would also say that if sure, you're talking recession, yeah, yes, or at least a threat of recession. And I would say at the other side, if the inflation surprises are enough to the upside, um, then you know if we're if we're starting to think inflation is going to be three percent or higher next year, yes, then then you really change the that becomes a dominant. There's so there are bounds in which there's a nonlinearity on those uh, reactions. Yes, and there are bounds in which it becomes effectively lexicographic. Right, you start. High enough inflation, that's all that matters. Weak enough growth, that's all that matters. I like lexiographic. Nice word. That we sh that's probably the place we should we should end. So let's everybody have a lexiographic weekend. Hope we can continue this conversation. I know. I hope we can continue the conversation next week uh, on the weekender. Take care.